How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love. Jackson Katz is our guest, educator, author, filmmaker, and cultural theorist, internationally renowned for his pioneering scholarship and activism on issues of gender and violence. He's also co-founder of the groundbreaking and widely influential Mentors in Violence Violence Prevention MVP program. It is the first system-wide gender violence prevention program in the sports culture and the U.S. military. He has a book that caught my eye. I loved this as the feminist that I am in this election year with the first woman uh, as a nominee for our major party and hoping will be the first president. His book is Man Enough, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and the Politics of Presidential Masculinity. You can get it at Amazon.com. More than a pleasure to have Jackson Katz with us. Jackson, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Leslie. Thanks for having me on. I love this. I have to say I love this. Um, (laughs) You know, I have a woman card in my wallet. Let's just start with that, okay? I paid 50 bucks for it. Not that you have to. You could pay three. Um, But uh, Donald Trump constantly likes to talk about Hillary Clinton pulling the woman card. And in your book, you basically talk about the fact that men, Donald Trump included now, have been pulling, quote, the man card and even the woman card for decades, correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Trump Trump is... The central reason for Trump's candidacy, and I think the central reason why he's made it this far, is that he's playing the man card. It's it's his his candidacy is all about his gender, but his gender is of course you know masculinity or men and white men and more specifically, and therefore it's not acknowledged very r- routinely as playing a gender card. And part of the you know the argument that I make throughout my book, Man Enough, is that um, historically the presidency's always been about gender, but the gender that it's been about is about men, and therefore it's been invisible and no one talks about it and then hillary clinton running because she's a woman she makes it visible and this is very similar to the way in which the presidency has always been about um race but the way the race that it's always been about is whiteness and therefore unacknowledged or unexamined until barack obama ran in 2008 which made race visible but this is one of the ways that you know power and privilege play out is by being invisible and so i think in the 2016 race it's both Hillary Clinton's gender, being the first woman to become a nominee from a major party and potentially the first you know, woman president, but also Donald Trump's performance of this over-the-top caricature of a kind of, I think, discredited white masculinity that, um, that makes gender on both sides incredibly poignant and salient. Um, there are articles, one of which entitled, The Trump-Clinton Gender Gap Could Be the Largest in More Than 60 Years. Agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but but again, I think the 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 point here is that it's an acceleration or an exaggeration of an existing uh, dynamic in American politics and presidential politics specifically. So, in other words, the the, the gender gap that's going to emerge likely emerge in 2016 and this fall in November um, will be significant and and perhaps the most in history, but. There have been gender gaps, uh, significant gender gaps going back to 1980, and, and especially among white voters. There's a, a significant gender gap between how white men vote versus how white women vote, and I think that'll be the, it'll be the biggest ever in November. 
There was a speech uh, that Donald Trump gave before the NRA, the National Rifle Association, and he was very, is very explicit about who he was targeting and why. He said, quote, I will say my poll numbers with men are through the roof, but I like women more than men. Come on, women. Let's go. Come on. Yet Hillary Clinton points out that she is a woman. Hello, it's obvious. Hillary Clinton points out that, you know, we as a nation have progressed because she's standing there on that stage and that, you know, the, the Democratic Party has put forth the first female candidate for presidency of the United States of America, and she's pulling the woman card. He's pulling a woman card clearly in that speech and many other times when he specifically talks about women and how he needs the women and how he's not doing well with the women. That's right. I mean, I, there's so much going on in, 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 in the quote that you just um, that you just read and, and in Donald Trump's positioning. And again, he's not original in this. Either he's unfiltered, so he says things more overtly than your typical political personality as you as you and everybody else knows right um but it's like women are in this difficult bind and 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 certainly hillary clinton is that if she mentions that she's a woman or she i mean yes it's obvious but i mean if she talks about the fact that she's you know could be the first woman president and other people talk about that then you get all kinds of pushback saying well that's identity politics and you need to vote for her based on her credentials or her policy positions not because she's a woman so there's all kinds of you know pushback when any on her side, if you will, mentions that she's a woman. Um, and yet at the same time, it's a political strength of hers in, in a certain sense that she can't talk about. But she also, but then Donald Trump, I mean, Donald Trump knows that he has a problem with women voters, and he knows that he's most popular among white men, especially downwardly mobile white men. And so, and so he tries to make it, um, to push her, to not talk about the fact that she's a woman, to not have, have the energy and the, and the uh, sort of history-making history kind of uh, energy that would surround the campaign, because if she does so, then she gets attacked for playing the woman card. And she has to walk a very fine line in that regard, and so do her supporters. Um, we're going to um, be taking a break, but I want to put something out there before we come back for you to think about. Um, you had talked about how men and women vote very differently. And we are seeing that really since the 70s, definitely into the 80s, women have been voting more democratically. Latest polls show NBC News, Wall Street Journal match up between her and Trump. She leads him with women 51 to 38 percent. Um, that's huge. We're going to talk about why, why they there are those differences. And if playing the woman card even matters, whether you're a woman like Hillary or if you need the woman and their vote like Donald Trump. We'll be back with our guest right after this. Pick up the phone and join us, 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Jackson Katz is our guest, author of Man Enough, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and the Politics of Presidential Masculinity. On Twitter, follow him there, at Jackson T. Katz, J-A-C-K-S-O-N-T-K-A-T-Z. The website, jacksoncats.com. Back with him, back with you. Right after this, you want to join us, 888-6-LESLIE. Call, comments, or questions. We 
are back with Jack Jackson Katz, educator, author, filmmaker, cultural theorist, internationally renowned for his pioneering scholarship and activism on issues of gender and violence, author of Man Enough, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and the Politics of Presidential Masculinity. You really should get this book. You can get it easily. Go to Amazon.com. Jackson, before the break, I asked you a question about women and voting Democratic. Um, so, one, if you want to weigh in as to why you think this is and why you think this is perhaps for the past few decades, uh, and then two... Um, being that that is the trend um, and continues to be now in 2016, does Hillary really need a pink woman card? And can Donald Trump try and pull anything uh, that resembles a woman card to, to gain their favor, to gain their votes? Well, I think to the, to the first question about um, uh, women voting uh, Democratic, I think women have always been voting Democratic since the New Deal. I think what's happened over the last generation is that white men have moved away from the Democratic Party, starting in 1968, especially, and accelerating in 1972 and in through the 70s. So to me, and, and I explore this in my book, the, the, the key question, one of the key questions in American politics is why did white men, why did so many white men abandon the party, the Democratic Party, um, that was the historically and to this day the party that most represents the interests of working and middle class people rather than why did women go for the democrats because women have always been there all along the way i think what's happened is women have um, increased their percentage of the of the vote women make about 53 percent of the electorate which means it's really difficult to be elected president if you don't have the women's vote and um, white men have been shrinking as a percentage of the electorate some of the estimates that i've read say that D- donald trump to win in november would need 70% of the white male vote because he's going to lose among the among women among white women he's going to uh, lose but he's going to lose even more badly among uh, excuse me he's going to lose he's going to win among white men but he's going to lose among women generally and even white women specifically he has a chance of losing actually among white women white women have been voting for the republican candidate in presidential elections for the last two or three decades so it's, we, we really have to talk about white and women because you know women of color vote overwhelmingly for the democratic candidate and women of color are surpassing white women uh, in, in, in numbers because you have a potential decrease uh, not just now but going forward obviously until the year what 2054 I think uh, is the year that whites are no longer technically, uh, you know, uh, literally uh, the, uh, the majority. That's in this right. Country. That's right. And, and I think one of the things we see happening in the Trump phenomenon is that I think white men know on some level that they're losing steam, if you will, or losing the numerical majority, certainly. Demographically, you can just look at the charts. It's, 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 it's obvious how every year the white male vote as a percentage of the total electorate decreases. And I, I mean, Leslie, I think when you see Donald Trump's hat, the famous hat that says, you know, make America great again, I think what that really is saying is put white men back on center stage again. I think because I think the appeal that Donald Trump has to white men is that he he articulates uh, in a sense, even though he's inarticulate, he articulates uh, this this longing for the centrality of white male authority. In other words, what, when white men were in charge, things were okay, and now that women and people of color and gays and lesbians and all these other folks who have been trying to sort of agitate for their rights over the past generation, that somehow the country has declined because of that. And what we need to do is get back to when white men were. Um, you know the father knows best era and that and the, and the, and that everything revolved around them and i think there's a great deal of resentment that he's tapping into and it's not just racial resentment it's also gender resentment and that doesn't get talked about as much in the popular conversation i'm i'm sure and i think it's important that bigotry and racism and anti-immigrant sentiment is a, is an important part of the draw of donald trump to his supporters 
But if you listen to people and ask them, especially men, why they like Donald Trump, you'll hear it over and over again. He's a man. He's a man's man. He's not politically correct. Uh, he does what he says, and he's think, you know he, he says what he thinks, and he does what he wants to do, and and all of that is about his performance of a, of a certain kind of pugilistic or aggressive white masculinity. It's not, it's not about policy positions. I think their attraction to him is based on a visceral identity politics rather than a cerebral understanding of how his policy positions might you know, improve their lives or the lives of their families. Uh, you know, one of I have to say, uh, when this is how people describe you, and maybe you even describe yourself, Jackson, which got my attention, especially as a feminist. Jackson Katz, Ph.D., Okay, off the bat, intelligent, educated man, leading figure in the growing global movement of, ready? This makes me swing, ladies. Movement of men working for gender equality and the prevention of men's violence against women. And you know what? As a woman, I really appreciate men like you, Jackson, because we need more of you in our corner. Um, Nobody can do this alone. Uh, We saw that with the women's right to vote. It was men who gave us that at one time. Um, Certainly women, you know, fighting for it didn't hurt. Um, You have such extensive experience on these issues uh, that relate to not only uh, men and to women, to feminism. um, But Trump versus Clinton is not just about gender. It's also about power and power within the genders, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, gender is, I mean, gender and power are inter, you know, inter, interconnected in very deep ways. And, and clearly, the debate, you know, the debate, if you will, or the, the contest between uh, Clinton and, um, and Trump highlights in a, in a way that's hard to imagine it being more so, it highlights this, this uh, struggle, if you will, for power. If you, and, and again, in, some, in a symbolic way, because, I mean, if you, Leslie, think about the presidency, and, and I, I talk about this in my book uh, very uh, extensively. The presidency is, it has incredible symbolic power in the country. It's not just, the president is not just the chief executive of the country. He, and it's always been a he, sort of embodies the national manhood in a country that sees itself as a very masculine country. And, and he's the head of the first family, lives in the White House. He's the commander-in-chief of the armed forces. He literally represents the country on the international stage. And I think one of the reasons why it's been so hard to get, uh, for a woman to get even close to that position is not just because it's hard to raise money or develop support within the party system. And I know those are real structural barriers to women's advancement politically, but it's also symbolically because so many people think of the president as a man. And so a woman moving into that space is disrupting the symbolic architecture, if you will, of, of a certain kind of uh, traditional men's leadership and women's subordinate status in a way that's, I think most people can't articulate that, but I think there's a, I think once, if, if Hillary Clinton is elected, and, um, and I have to say, if she's not elected, I think it'll be a catastrophe for the country. But if she's elected, I think people will be, I think, taken by surprise, and not just women, by how much they're psyche is going to be jarred, how much they're going to, they're, they're sort of, the norms in their psyche about what, is po- what power looks like is going to be disrupted when you have a woman in the Oval Office, when you have a woman walking off Air Force One and saluting to the, uh, you know, to the uh, assigned troops. It's, that's, that, all of that is brand new stuff. And I think, I think some people aren't quite prepared for what that's going to mean. I do think the conservatives who oppose Hillary Clinton, many of them do know what it's going to mean, and that's one of the reasons why they are so vociferously against her. I don't buy for a second that email scandals and all the other scandals that they want to associate with with Hillary Clinton 
Hillary Clinton are the, are the true reason why they don't want her to be elected president. I think they know very well that women's advancement in this symbolic way will have, um, will have a very powerful impact on how we understand the, the, you know, the relations between the sexes and the, the, the traditional default that male, a male, especially a white male, equals a leader, and a woman has to be a, a usurp, is, a, is somehow a usurper of that role, or somehow she's not really welcome in that space. I think they know, either viscerally or intellectually, a lot of conservatives know that, and that's one of the reasons why they've been so vociferous in their opposition to her. Oh, uh, truly. But because we are also looking at, uh, you know, definitely with this race like no other, looking at the gender dynamics clearly at play in this election of 2016, how do we then or how how would you uh, describe or basically explain Donald Trump's political ascent in spite of growing female numbers, growing female numbers that are non-white, and women not only growing in numbers, growing in political involvement, growing as voters, and definitely uh, growing to support uh, Democrats and, and policies that affect women that I think most women feel a woman would have more of a handle on, uh, hence such a double-digit lead with women uh, by Hillary. So how do we have Donald Trump's political ascent in spite of this uh, gender dynamic at play? Well, I think he does still speak to a lot, sadly, I have to say, to a lot of white men, especially downwardly mobile white men, men without a, a college education, but some men with a college education, because what he does speak to is this this visceral resentment against the advancement of women, against the the increasingly multicultural and multi-ethnic nature of our society. He speaks to a certain percentage of men, and it's sadly, it's millions and millions of men who feel like they've been left out and left behind. They, I mean, Richard Nixon, by the way, figured out in 1968 and then building in, on 68 into 1972 when he defeated George McGovern in a 49-state landslide. Richard Nixon figured out a way to bring working-class and lower-middle-class white men into the Democrat, excuse me, into the Republican Party, away from the Democrats, by giving them a certain kind of cultural recognition. He couldn't offer them better wages. He couldn't offer them union benefits or anything like that because, the, you know, he couldn't get away with that with the uh, with the uh, elites in the Republican Party. But he offered them this cultural recognition, which is to say, he, he talked about them as the patriotic Americans, the true Americans. Meanwhile, the, the anti-war movement, the anti, you know, the long-haired you know men and women who were protesting the Vietnam War and the, the growing, the, the burgeoning uh, uh, women's movements and all these other progressive social movements, including the environmental movement, was somehow un-American. And yet he, Richard Nixon, was going to identify himself on the side of the average man, white man, who feels like, you know, he needs to be recognized for what he's contributing to the country. And Donald Trump is doing a reprise of that in, you know, in 2016. I mean, some people have talked about George Wallace and George Wallace's appeal to that same constituency of, of, of you know, working and lower-middle-class uh, white men who felt, you know, aggrieved by the civil rights movement and this increasing focus away from them and, and towards these other groups. Um, and I think there's a, some, a similarity with the demagoguery of Trump and um, and um, George Wallace, but I think Nixon really mainstreamed all this, this whole process. And I think, I think what we're seeing now in terms of the discussion about what could be a landslide or could be a very significant win for Hillary Clinton, although I, I know it's too early to say that, is that you can't win with just a huge number of white male voters. You have to get women voters. You have to bring in uh, a certain percentage of people of color. And Donald Trump is failing miserably at that. And it's not because of his policy positions. It's because of his his 
open misogyny, his open contempt for women who don't conform to his uh, dictates, if you will. And I think women see right through that. What's, 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 what's frustrating to me is so many men who profess to care about women, who profess to, to respect women as their partners and equals, can still, in spite of all the incredible misogyny that he has evidenced in his whole public life, not just in his presidential run, can still consider voting for him. I think that's a sad comment about how far women have yet to come, because I think, I think some of the things that he said early on in this campaign should have canceled him out as a, as a candidate, not just for women, but for men who care about women, who care about justice, who care about our daughters. You know, it, it, I, think, I think that's, to me, a, a, a bridge between my work on men's violence against women and gender equality, and I appreciate your, comment, your, your, you know, your thanks for that. I, I do appreciate that. A bridge between that and this political season is, I think that Trump for better or worse, and I think there are some elements of it that are positive, he's brought to the surface both a level of racism and ethnic um, anger and a level of misogyny and unchecked men's anger towards women that, that makes a lot of us very you know, sad because it shows you how far we have to go. If we're going to reduce, significantly reduce domestic violence and sexual violence, we're going to have to deal with... The, the, the kind of misogyny that's just one step beneath the surface that's so deeply felt by so many men, and the Trump campaign, more than any modern political campaign, has brought that to the surface as well as the racism. You in your book and here on the program talked about presidential elections. We talked about since 1980, how they've helped shape gender norms and perceptions. You talked about make America a great again, and I think make America great again also plays into that powerful, symbolic role that it exemplifies American manhood. It embodies the country's masculine identity, to your point in your book. So then tell me, why do you think that still, even for many in 2016, why women by definition have not been seen and still by some are uncomfortable seeing women as presidential and that only certain types of men even seem to fit the, quote, presidential profile? Sure. I mean, I think this is how history works. I mean, I think, I think we, we live in an incredibly transitional time. The last several decades have been incredibly transformational in terms of our understandings about things like race and gender and sexuality and sexual orientation. And it takes time to transition. I mean, I remember when Barack Obama was elected in 2008, and I was watching the TV with my then 8-year-old um, seven-year-old son. And I remember, you know, I, and I'm a white person. I had tears in my eyes because I'm old enough to remember you know, how big a deal this is, or to understand in historical context, this is a major milestone in American history, right? And lots of people were moved in that way. But my son, it was normal for him, right? It was just normal for, you know, the, the, for example, it is only, the only person that he, that's been president since he's been kind of aware of things has been a, an African-American man. And I think for people who are of a certain age, to think about a president and think about presidentiality or appearing presidential and having a picture of a woman is a very significant shift. And that's for women and men, by the way. There's plenty of women who are very uncomfortable thinking about a woman in a powerful position like that, as you know. But I think for younger generations who are going to be coming of age, who are coming of age now and who are very young now, little children, etc., it's going to be much more, no- more normal. And then 20 years from now, 30, 40, 50 years from now, it'll just be so completely normative to think about a woman as president, yeah, yeah. to think of women in power. But I think we're part of the transitional generation who remembers what it was like well before that was even a, a remote possibility. 
Jackson, I could talk to you all day. I have more questions. Didn't get to them. We'll have you back on the show again. Thank you for being with us. Jackson Katz, his book, Man Enough, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and the Politics of Presidential Masculinity. You can buy it at Amazon.com. You can also buy it on his website, JacksonKatz.com. Again, J-A-C-K-S-O-N-K-A-T-Z.com. On Twitter, follow him at Jackson T. Katz. We've got all the news right here. I'm going to stop you right there. I see you about to settle on a day-old donut for breakfast. Well, this is a chick intervention. Because McChicken Biscuits and Chicken McGriddles are now at McDonald's. So just hit that drive through and change your life. For breakfast, you got this. Wake up breakfast. Say good morning to McChicken for breakfast. Right now at your local McDonald's, you can mix and match two Chicken McGriddles or McChicken Biscuits for just $3. Price and participation may vary at participating McDonald's for a limited time.